Well, good morning, Providence. Happy New Year. Yeah, how are you guys doing today? <laughs> okay. Uh, how many of you have already failed at your New Year's resolutions? Are you guys depressed or what? Okay, a few of you, yes, I have too, so we're in good company. Luckily for us, uh, our life does not hinge on completing our New Year's resolutions, but as we learned last week, uh, rather our lives are defined by the fact that if you are in Christ, you have been made into a new creation. And as a new creation, God wants to help us grow. He wants to propel us forward in a way, and this month in January as we kick off 2018 for our church. We're going to be going through a series, as you see up here, called Growth. And the idea is it's not, uh, we're not promoting numerical growth uh, so we can pat ourselves on the back for feeling good how we're becoming a bigger church. And it's not about so we can put out more seats and have more people fill those seats and we can flaunt our numbers. Hey, look at us. It's not that. It's rather a true growth in the gospel. It's the idea of of the gospel penetrating deeper into our hearts and having a bigger impact. And then that, and then the gospel is spreading out through our church as we are uh, agents of reconciliation, as we are ambassadors for Christ uh, where we live, work, and play. And so I think for us to get started on these four weeks that we're going to be going through in, our, in this little vision and prayer series, we need to go all the way back to the beginning. And the idea that I want to get us, get our heads around is this. Why do we even exist as a church? Like, why did we plant Providence in the first place? Um, so, you see, we have a very clear mission. <clears throat> Think about it this way. You know, many of you, if you watch sports, why Alabama football exists. It exists to play excellent football and win national championships, Right? Or you see UNMC over here. You see UNMC, you know that UNMC exists to promote health and train up healthcare workers, right? Or Noli's Pizza down the street. Have you been there before? You know they exist to create amazing, mouth-watering pizza for all of us to love and enjoy. Can I get an amen? Okay, thank you. Um, so, first, I got to say this. We have... Uh, the same crystal clear mission as those places do, as those organizations, if you will. And first we would say that we exist for God, but we do that through the mission of making and sending disciples. That's our crystal clear mission. We make and send disciples of Jesus. That's what we do. And if we start doing anything else, if we become the cool church to go to, I don't know how that would happen, but if we did become the cool church, um, the then we've lost ourselves. If we become uh, the place to be, the social place to be on Sunday mornings, or if we become the young adult church in Midtown Omaha, we have deviated from what we are supposed to be. It would be like if UNMC said tomorrow, they came out in a news briefing and said, we've actually changed our mission and we're going to be all about making good pizza for Midtown Omaha and Blackstone. That didn't make any, any sense at all. And if you've been to their cafeteria, you would know why that doesn't make any sense. So I've been there. Not great, but it's okay. Uh, So with that idea, the idea of making and sending disciples, um, we wanted to take these next four weeks and and push ourselves in four different areas, in four different areas of growth, and we put this first topic first on purpose, and it is um, the topic of evangelism. 
So the first step in us making and sending disciples is evangelism. So everything that we talk about today, everything that's discussed, will be around the idea of how do we, as a church in 2018, become a church that fosters a, a, a culture of evangelism. So um, before we go any farther, I think it'd probably be good to just pause and just uh, talk about what I mean by evangelism. So very clearly, I maybe, maybe the most simple definition is just proclaiming the good news of Jesus. It's more than being nice to your neighbors and doing kind things and smiling at people. It's actually using words to proclaim the good news of Jesus, and you do that with an aim, with a hope that these people will give their lives to him, that they'll be transformed by him. So that's what I mean by evangelism. Now, as we consider how we're going to grow in evangelism, you heard it before, we have three different passages that, we, that, are, that we're going to dive into. Um, and hopefully this will, these will inspire you some, but also will give you some practical truths for how we can be a church that focuses on evangelism. And so um, the big idea for this morning, uh, it, it goes something like this. So evangelism equals an active God plus active people. So what we're trying to get at as a church is an active God plus active people. Now, here's a little secret that you probably already know. God is already active. He's working. He's moving. He's pressing forward. The question is on the second part, are we going to be an active people? And so these three texts that we're going to look at today are going to, uh, they're going to highlight three ways that we can be an active people in this idea. And the first text is going to highlight us being a praying people. The second one is going to highlight being an opportunistic people. And the third one is going to highlight being a faithful people. And so with that, let me open to Acts 13 and invite you to turn there uh, if you have a Bible or a, or a Bible app. Acts 13, starting in verse 1. And it says this, Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Uh, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. In this text, you see a praying people. Now, if someone were to say to you, hey, do you know uh, that church is a praying church over there? You'd probably say, well, duh, that's what churches are supposed to do. They're supposed to pray. But if someone asked you, okay, you point me to a praying, a truly praying church that you know about, your reaction might be more like, uh, I, I don't know. Why is it? Have you ever wondered why so many churches lack this vibrant type of prayer? You see, the context in this, uh, in this little section here in Acts 13 is, is the church in Antioch. And there were followers of Jesus in this church of Antioch who wanted to hear and respond to God. And you see, as you looked in verse 2, it said they were praying and worshiping. And then it says later in verse 2 that this church heard from the Holy Spirit. I don't know exactly how that came down, how that worked, but they heard from the Holy Spirit. And they knew that they were supposed to send out Paul and Barnabas at that point. And even after the Holy Spirit spoke, did you notice that in the next verse they continued to fast and pray and lay their hands on them, and finally they sent them out. This is a praying people. Why do these guys pray? 
Man, because they knew that God speaks and they wanted to hear what he had to say to them. Why do these guys pray? Because they knew they had the good news of the gospel and they wanted to follow the Spirit's leading to bring that to a lost and dying world. Why do these guys pray? Because they knew that the church was a lot more about their skills and their talents that they could bring to the table. But rather, it was a God-centered, God-led, mission-focused people. Is it possible that, that we've lost our urgency to pray because we've kind of lost our vision for what the church is really supposed to be? That maybe it's become a little bit more like us-centered, us-led, and us-focused. I think if we want to be a church that is a, is a real church and not just play church, that we are going to have to become a praying people. You know what I love about this story in Acts chapter 13 is that I feel like this story is kind of a parallel story with our church. I know that Providence Church didn't get sent out from Antioch. I understand that. But um, our church was birthed out of prayer. The prayer of two churches here in Omaha, City Light and Christ Community, who were two churches that were passionate about the gospel going forward in our city. And they were praying, God, what do you want us to do next? What do you have for us next? What are you going uh, to do next in our city that we can be a part of? And, and what happened is the Holy Spirit spoke to, to these churches. And you know what the answer was? Send these guys. Send this group of people. You are an answer to prayer of, of the mission of God going forward in our city. And so many of you, um, kind of like this, this scene of them laying hands on Paul and Barnabas, many of you were there on stage at, at City Light and, and at Christ Community last spring when we actually got up on stage and people laid their hands on us and prayed over us and sent us out just like this scene, right? They didn't send us out to be the the cool young church in Blackstone, but they sent us out to be witnesses, to be ambassadors for Jesus, to bring the light of Jesus to a lost and dying world. You see, Providence, we were planted with a desire to to reach the city, birthed out of prayer, and the reality is, is now it's our turn. It's our turn to be the praying people, to be the praying church to get on our knees and say, God, what do you have for us next? God, save our neighbors. God, heal our city. God, send out another church plant. What do you want from us? Here we are. As we uh, strive to create a culture of evangelism, the, the primary work that we have is prayer. In 2018, we want to be a church that that starts with prayer. So prayer is not just a thing that we use on Sunday mornings from stage to transition from one thing to the next, but it's truly a chance for our our church to get on our knees and and cry out to our God who's here and he's listening to us. In in our city groups, our hope is that prayer is not just a wrap-up technique at the end of the night, but it's rather a posture, a go-to posture that we feel the urgency and the need to get into to be able to cry out to the Lord. In our, our huddles, our two to three person discipleship groups that we have, uh, man, I hope that, that those huddles are praying for lost people in those groups like we've set them up to do. And we don't forsake that for the other things that we would rather do. 
So as a first point of application, uh, I would love to invite you uh, to come this Wednesday night to, to begin this week and this year right by coming together and pray, praying together. This Wednesday, you heard Jordan say it before, 6.30, LifeGate Midtown. We're going to be praying for our friends and family who are lost. We're going to be uh, praying that God would muster up in us the boldness to be um, evangelizing our family, our friends, and our neighborhoods. And so I'd love uh, for you to come out and be a part of that, a praying people. That's what God has called us to. And if that's the, the first ingredient uh, that we're going to look to to build a culture of evangelism and be an active people. The second one is to be an opportunistic people. To see all of life as mission. To see yourselves as a sent person to wherever you are right now. Sent to wherever you live, work, and play. There's probably no greater example uh, than Paul in the Bible that we can look to. So uh, we're going to look at another passage, but before I do, let me connect these two passages since there's like two or three chapters in between them. So what happened was Paul and Barnabas, they were sent out in Acts 13. They went out, multiple different cities, they were sharing the gospel, they saw a lot of people believe in Jesus for the first time, they saw great fruit, it was a really cool movement. They also had some hardships, they got beat up, maybe a time or two, but after their, that first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas come back to Antioch and they celebrate. They said, hey, God is doing amazing things, and the church at Antioch worshiped together because of that. They praised God together because of that. Then something odd happened. I don't really know the details, but Paul and Barnabas got in a little dispute. We'll save that for another day. I don't know what happened. But they, uh, Paul then uh, picked his buddy Silas, and they were sent out together to go on another missionary journey. Sent out from the same church in Antioch, and they went out, and they were, uh, had some plans of where they wanted to go, but Paul had a vision uh, in the middle of the night, and a man... Uh, from Macedonia, he saw in this vision a man from Macedonia say, hey, come share the gospel with us. Come tell us about Jesus. And so they altered their plans and they went into this uh, territory of Macedonia where the city of Philippi is, this strong, um, influential, Roman-controlled city called Philippi. Now, uh, upon getting into there where there was no known believers, uh, Paul and Silas, knowing that they were sent there on mission, they go outside the city to uh, a river, and there's a group of women who are there, and they're praying. And, um, and Paul and Silas approach them, and there's one woman named Lydia. It said she was a seller of purple goods. Purple is a... Um, uh, would have been an expensive uh, dye for fabric, and so she could have been a, a fairly um, well-to-do businesswoman, I guess, in the time. And, and Paul shares the gospel with Lydia, and right on the spot, she trusts in Jesus. And then they go back to her house, and, and the rest of her family places their faith in Jesus, the first converts in Philippi. And then after that, there's this weird in-between scene where Paul and Silas are, are going around uh, the city of Philippi, and there's this demon-possessed slave girl who is, who is kind of um, antagonizing them, I guess, yelling at them, whatever. Uh, and um, anyway, it says that Paul gets annoyed with her and turns around and casts a demon out of her, which you would think would be a good thing, for Paul and Silas to do, and it was, however, this girl had owners. She was a slave girl and demon-possessed, and these owners used her as a person who would, like, 
basically tell fortunes to the people around her. So they would use these supernatural powers to make money off of. And when the demon left, she no longer had these powers. And so these men were really mad at Paul and Silas. So they took them to some authorities. They had them beat. They were lashed. They were in bad shape. And then they threw them in prison. And at the point that they got into into jail, their feet uh, would have been put in stocks that were so tight that even uh, small movements would inflict pain on their legs. These guys were in a bad, bad situation. And there you find our scene in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, where it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke, he saw that the prison doors were open. He threw his sword or he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. He was responsible for these guys, so if they leave, he's in a lot of trouble. He's about to fall on this sword. Now, I want to talk to you about being an opportunistic people. Paul saw his whole life as mission. He knew that he was sent out, and so uh, he was looking out in every single situation, to every circumstance, every person, seeing how can I bring Jesus into this. I don't know about you, but if I'm in this situation, if I'm Paul and I'm in pain and I was just beaten, I'm complaining, I'm whining, I'm angry and bitter at this Roman jailer, this Roman guard. He's my enemy, but Paul and Silas are committed to being opportunistic people. Let's read the next few verses where it says, But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And he did, and so did his house, and they were baptized. Now, what do we learn from this story? Well, the call to evangelize doesn't change no matter the circumstance. We should see every opportunity, every person as an opportunity to be able to share Jesus. Recently, I read this book uh, called Evangelism, very convenient for the topic of the day, uh, written by a guy named J. Max Stiles. And he said that if you want to build a culture of evangelism, I'm going to, I have a slide I think that I'm going to throw up here maybe soon. We'll see. Uh, If you want to build, there it is, yes. Uh, If you want to build a culture of evangelism, there are three things that all of the people in your church need to get into their bones, into the depths of their bones. And the first thing is that you need to see every person as an image bearer of God, of someone that has value because they bear God's image. The second thing that we all need to understand is that uh, we need to remember that people are separated from God. If you're not in Christ, you are separated. And the third thing is you need to remember what people can become through the power of the gospel. Now, this is Paul's view. He saw people this way. He looked at the Roman jailer and he didn't see enemy. He saw an image bearer of God with value and worth. He looked at this Roman jailer and realized, this guy's messed up, but the reality is he's separated from God. He needs Jesus. 
And then he was bold in his faith because he believed, he remembered what the gospel can do, that it has the power to truly change a life. Providence, what if we had that perspective? What if we looked around at at every person, including our neighbor who complains all the time? If we looked at, at that coworker that's a whiner all the time, that he just annoys you to no end. Or if you looked at uh, that family member that you try to avoid at, at family reunions. Or you even looked at your hipster barista that you go and see every day. What if you looked at them like this, that every person is an image bearer of God? They're separated from God. And that you remember that they can be radically, completely transformed through the gospel. Wouldn't it change how we looked at people? Wouldn't it change what we thought when we walked into coffee shops, when we walked in to family reunions? Man, I think this would drive us to our knees in prayer, asking God, God, what are you, how are you leading me today? Spirit, how do you want me to, to speak today? Who do you want me to talk to today? I think that it would drive us to our knees in prayer. Uh, can I give you guys a bad example of how not to do this? This is my own story, by the way. So I'm not ratting anybody out. This is me. So, la- so last week, uh, before church <clears throat> started, um, in the morning, for some reason, I had 45 extra minutes of time uh, before I was going to come and help the setup team, which is very bizarre because I do not like getting up in the morning. But I was up. It was 45 minutes early. And so I decided to go to a coffee shop and take my Bible with me and read the Bible. And so... I, uh, I walked into a coffee shop that's around here, and I walk in, and I'm the only one there, of course, because it's New Year's Eve, and it's negative 9 degrees and 6.55 in the morning. Of course no one's going to be there. But anyway, I walk in. There's only one guy behind the counter, and I step up, and, um, and I walk up. Hey, man, and he goes, man, give me some good news. And I'm like, wait, What? If that wasn't ever a lead-in to talk about Jesus, and what do I say? I go, oh, uh, is it a rough day today? How long is your work shift? Or, and I, I didn't know what to say. I was so taken off guard. Now, this, that is not what you should do, by the way. But anyway, I order my coffee. I order something to eat, and I go, and I sit down, and I'm like, oh, man, I messed that up. And so I sit down, and, I'm, and I feel like God prompting me, like, hey, go say something, go do something, like, say anything. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, it might be awkward. I don't know what he's really talking about. All he said was he was just feeling a little frustrated. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. And so I sit there, and I keep reading, keep reading. It's like 40 minutes later. And I'm getting up to leave, and I'm thinking, should I talk to him? Maybe I should just leave. It might be awkward. And then he yells at me across the room and says, hey, man, I I think I figured it out. I'm like, oh, man. And so I go over there, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, I was feeling frustrated. You know, he goes, I've been going through a rough patch in life. And and, uh, uh, he, he uh, he said, I believe in God, but it it's felt recently like maybe he's just not there anymore or he, he, doesn't, he doesn't care about me anymore. But when I saw you walk in with that Bible and place it on the counter, I think it was a reminder from God to me that he actually does care about me. And I'm like, oh, I missed it. Oh, that was bad. But I took the second or third or fourth open door, whichever one you want to say, and 
Then I started talking to him, opening up a spiritual conversation. I was able to give him my information. Hopefully, I'll be able to sit down with this guy. That is an inopportunistic example. You want to do the opposite of that. But I think these uh, examples maybe are these opportunities maybe in front of us quite regularly. And hopefully, I'll get a chance very soon to sit down with this guy and share the gospel. Now, I know, just by way of caveat, uh, real quick, I know that this is a sermon about evangelism, and I haven't really explained how to do that, and I won't do that in detail, but just real quickly, um, when I sit down with someone like this, I generally, I, I think one of the easier things to do when you're sharing the gospel with someone is to, to just follow the, the, the four-part storyline of the Bible. And so when I sit down with someone, I'll give them just the framework of the Bible and that it says that in the very beginning that that God created everything and everything was good. It used to be a perfect world, but then uh, the problem was is that, that humans sinned. And that's why you see all this brokenness in the world. That's why you feel this brokenness in your life. And maybe even more specifically than the world's sin, it's your sin that has created this brokenness in your life. And then move to the redemption part and just say, you know, the, the, the only remedy for this, the only way uh, that, that uh, this can be restored or changed is, is through Jesus. Jesus came to earth. He lived the life, that, the perfect life that you didn't live, and he died in your place. And now if you place your faith in him, you can be forgiven of those sins. And then ultimately, the fourth, uh, the fourth stage or step is just... Um, Informing people that, that when they trust in Jesus, they can be with him forever on the other side of this world. They can go to heaven and be with Jesus for all eternity, which is good news. Now, um, if you want more details on that, I know that was like 45 seconds, a little bit broad. Let me, for the third time this morning, plug our Wednesday prayer night. We're going to be talking about some of this stuff and evangelism as we pray. Uh, so come out Wednesday at 630. Uh, definitely be a part of that. So, Caveat done. Um, Everyone is an image bearer. People are separated from God. We need to remember what people can become through the gospel providence. I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit is actually leading and and guiding and setting up uh, conversations like that one a lot more than we even realize. I think that he's at work all over the place. Could we be opportunistic people. If we're going to become a church that evangelizes, it's going to be through a grassroots effort of people like all of us. When we walk into work, when we walk into family gatherings, when we walk into coffee shops, when we walk into restaurants, seeing people like this. And when we think of that, could we love people enough to actually share the best news that there is in the world, the best news that has come to you and has radically transformed your life. Could we be an opportunistic people that share Jesus with people? Now, some of you might be pumping the brakes a little bit and saying, okay, wait, so all you want me to do is evangelize like the Apostle Paul? Like, really? Like, you want us to follow the example of, of like one of the, the hero kind of figures of the New Testament? Well, I want you to hold on for a second because I want to read a letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church. Um, And I want to read just a part of this, who's founding members in this church. Some of the first converts would have been Lydia, the seller of purple goods and her family. It would have been the Roman jailer. 
and, and part of his family there. And as we read this, this highlights our third point, and that is an active people are a faithful people. So Philippians 1, verse 3, it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, now I want you to think about this for a second. So this letter is being written to the people. Um, this is being written about 10 to 12 years after that Philippi incident that we read in Acts chapter 16. So maybe 10 to 12 years after Lydia got saved by the river and after the demon-possessed girl, uh, the, ex- the demon was exercised out of her. After the Roman jailer saw this crazy earthquake and then uh, he gave his life to Jesus. And you know what happened after that? In that Acts 16 narrative, if you keep reading, it appears that maybe a day or two max passed before Paul and Silas got out of there. They were gone. So they didn't sit around and evangelize the whole city for weeks and months and years. They got out of there. But now this church, as we read in Philippians, is booming. It's faithful. It's full of joy. It's growing. So before you get crushed under the weight of Paul's uh, supposed hero story, look at this Philippians letter. Paul is overjoyed throughout this. He's thanking them for their partnership in the gospel and and for evangelizing their city. These are normal people. These are everyday people. They're regular people. These are faithful people. And what does it say at the very end of what we just read? It says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And can we all just stop for a second and just acknowledge the fact that, that the secret ingredient to this Philippian church taking off was not actually Paul being a super evangelist. And it actually wasn't even through these Philippians being a faithful people, but the, the ingredient actually was God himself. It was his supernatural work through the Holy Spirit, working through broken but faithful people. Now, you think the Roman jailer was like a super evangelist here? Probably not. I mean, maybe he was, but probably not. But I bet God used him to bring people to faith. You know, I, uh, I love to, to tell the story of, um, of a neighbor that we used to have. Um, is a neighbor that we like to hang out with, have a fire in the backyard. We cooked food for this guy. Well, my wife cooked food for this guy. Um, and we uh, we really liked hanging out with him, and we built a trusting relationship. And um, he had told me some, so just some tough stuff from his past. And then um, one time, uh, we were standing in my backyard, and he was telling me just about just a rough patch that he was going through. And he got to the end, and he said, he said, Jared, if you uh, man, if you have any answers for me, just let me know. And I'm like, this is it. This perfect setup, perfect setup part one. This happened before last week. And so I'm like, this is, this is great. And I got all excited. I'm ready to drop the bomb. And I said, actually, you know what? I think I do have an answer for you. I think it's Jesus. And I go on and I talk about 
the gospel. I explain it, and, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, here it comes. This is great. Let's, okay, ready for the big finish. And I said, what do you think? And he's like, yeah, I, I don't know. It sounds okay, but yeah. And he just like abruptly like stands, he just walks away. And I'm like, wait, what just happened here? Like, this was the perfect setup. A, B, and C lined up. The, the, the conclusion of the story should have been completely different. I'm like, how did I fail so poorly in this situation? And this situation is a great reminder that, that salvation belongs to the Lord. And, and the call for us is to just be uh, faithful and actually evangelizing. Faithful in us sharing our faith, telling people about Jesus. We do our part and we trust God for the results. And if you lack confidence, can we just be reminded that, that the God that we serve, it's the same God that, that holds the whole universe together. This is, this is the same God that orchestrated this book of Acts that we read with so many miraculous life-changing stories. And can we be reminded that, that the gospel that we're proclaiming, the good news, is the same good news that came to you, to your hearts in a dark place and, and gave you new life. It took you from death to life. It has completely transformed your life. That's the message that we're proclaiming. We should have confidence in that gospel. You've seen it work firsthand over and over again. So what does faithfulness look like? Well, we wanted to set some goals for the church. Don't bristle at that word of goals. So Andrew and I wanted to just prayerfully consider during this growth series how we could set some, some things in front of the church to be striving for. In the idea of, of keeping ourselves accountable, of, of striving for the mission of God, of making and sending disciples, and to do that together through encouraging each other, praying for each other, serving alongside one another. And so there's a couple things that we wanted to press into with evangelism. And the first goal that we have is that that everyone who calls Providence home, we would love for you uh, to share your faith, to share Jesus one time this year. At least one time, by the way. Some of you are like, I've already done that two times this last week. I talked to a guy after first service. He's like, yeah, I did that twice last week. And I'm like, ahead of the curve. Great job. <clears throat> but we want everyone, everyone to be involved in this. I mean, imagine what it would be like. 200 and some different people in different networks, different pockets of Omaha, different neighborhoods, uh, bringing the good news of Jesus to people. Isn't that a cool idea? So we want everyone to share the gospel at least once this year. The second thing is we want um, everyone who calls Providence home to, to uh, to be having a spiritual conversation at least once a month. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. I think a lot of times we get in this rut and we get kind of overwhelmed because... Um, we think of like sharing the gospel and it seems like this big, like out there kind of thing. We don't know what to do, how to do it. And so um, a lot of times we need to, to just back up a little bit, take a deep breath and, and just start asking people questions. Ask people questions like, hey, so what do you believe about God? Or, hey, do you have a, a religious background? Did you grow up in a church? Or do you have any spiritual beliefs? If so, what are they? And, and just get the ball rolling a little bit. And in this, uh, what we're doing is we're moving towards sharing the gospel and we're getting past that rut of just saying, oh, I'm building a relationship. I'm building a relationship. You know how many times I've told people, well, I'm, just build- I'm still building a relationship. We all have those relationships. And, and the question is, are we actually- ever actually going to say anything, you know? 
Are we ever going to move somewhere else? And so I think having spiritual conversations and doing that regularly is a good step toward that. So once a month, spiritual conversations. And the third goal is very simply pray. And when you pray, then pray some more. Then when you get done praying, keep praying and pray some more. I realize that's not a a tangible, measurable goal, but we're just going to do it, okay? So for some, um, I think this might... These might seem like kind of lofty goals for others. You might be like, yeah, we can do this. Let's, let's run at this. And my hope is that, that today is not just like a one and done kind of pep talk thing, but it's actually the first step in many, many, many steps in, in us becoming a church that builds a culture of evangelism, that shares our faith well. And so you might ask, okay, well, how are you going to do this? Or how are you going to follow up on any goals that you set? Well, I think one of the things that we want to do is we want to be uh, good storytellers. Uh, we want to, whether it's in a sermon, we want to tell stories of people sharing their faith. We want to tell stories of people giving their life to Christ. Or on social media, we want to uh, create opportunities to write about or shoot video about, about, new, uh, about people giving their life to Jesus. We want to tell these stories. We want to have more baptism services where people are coming up here and sharing their testimonies. Uh, I know that there's a, this uh, leadership principle, which I think is completely accurate, that says um, you become what you celebrate. And we want to be a people who celebrate uh, evangelism and, and new life in Christ. We also um, want to reinforce this at, at every level of community. And so we don't want to just talk about it a few times on Sunday um, but we want it to be as a part of our city groups, which is kind of the heartbeat of our church during the week. And so uh, one of the things that we want to do as a staff is to, to um, speak into our city group leaders monthly and just check in and ask them, hey, how are you doing with this idea of, of sharing your faith? And not as like, uh, you know, making them, like beating them down when they don't do it right, but just coming alongside and encouraging and, and walking with them. And then we want our city group leaders to monthly, as they meet um, with their group, to, to do the same thing with the people in their city groups, just to check in, to tell stories. Hey, how's it going? Who have you had a chance to talk to? Tell us a little bit about what, what God is doing as you're talking about Jesus to your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. So the reality is we, we don't have all the answers and you can't really, you can't at all micromanage building a culture. It just doesn't work. But we can strive, and we can pray, and we can be faithful, opportunistic people that share Jesus whenever we get the chance. And we have this gospel that is the best news that anyone could ever know, that the best news that anyone could ever receive, and, and God has done his part, and God is being active in us and around us. Now the question is, how will we respond? Will we be active in our pursuit of building a culture of evangelism in our church? Now, usually uh, um, at the end of a sermon, I would wrap up and pray, and today I want to do something a little bit different, and I want to invite a couple of our college students up here, Jake and Sammy Joe. Um, These are, are two of our PC3, you can clap for them if you want. If they come up. Oh, yeah. So uh, Jake and Sammy Joe just got, um, <laughs> they just uh, got back from a, a 
winter uh, college ministry conference, and these guys are excited about taking the gospel to their campus and making plans for how they can share the gospel on UNO's campus. And so I thought instead of me praying and doing the norm, it would be great to have a couple of our college students just pray over all of us as a congregation as we pursue this. So Sammy Joe, take it away. So Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 say, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for Providence Church that we have this place where we can come to as a community, as a family, on Sundays where we can have our eyes refocused on you so that throughout our weeks that it's not that we are, we're Christians on Sundays and that's it, God, but that throughout our whole entire weeks that wherever we are, whether that's the workplace or at school or with our families and friends, that we would be a light to the world, that we would always preach the gospel with our actions and with our words, that the people that we interact with would be impacted and that we would Throughout that process, that we would rely on you, knowing that we are just vessels and that you are the word and that anything that we try to do without you, God, it will fail. And so, Father, would we rely on you? Would we live lives that breathe out your truth because we've experienced it? Would we, be, would we be willing to share our stories with other people that they may come to know you, God? Lord, I pray that you would speak to us individually and as a church, that you will speak into our hearts, that we will be bold in our faith, that we will proclaim your name and your gospel, and all glory will be brought to you. Lord, I pray that we will do what you call us to do. We will give what you call us to give. We will go where you call us to go, and we will say what you call us to say. In Jesus' name, amen.